Welcome to the Transfer Window with me, Henry McRae, and podcast regulars Ian McGarry and Duncan Castles. Coming up, we'll look at high-flying Tottenham Hotspur and what the future holds for their squad of overachieving yet underpaid players. We'll argue about whether Daniel Levy was to blame for Spurs' failure to overcome Leicester City in the 2016 title race. And we'll ask if Mauricio Pochettino could be heading to Real Madrid or what are his chances of ending up at Paris Saint-Germain? And who, indeed, is his main competition for that role? But first, Duncan revealed in the Daily Record this week that there are problems emerging between Paul Pogba and Manchester United manager Josie Mourinho, as the superstar midfielder is unhappy with his current position and role in the lineup. And does that mean he might be moving on at some stage in the near future? Duncan. Tell us what you know. Yeah, look, it's something we've seen on the pitch in uh, in the last four games and that uh, since Alexis Sanchez arrived at the club, Paul Pogba has not completed a full 90 minutes for Manchester United. Um, he's been subbed off twice in important games, so away at Tottenham, and uh, when immediately after Manchester United went behind at Newcastle and lost at the weekend. And... You've also seen Mourinho um, very pointedly uh, going to Pogba on the touchline and and pointing out where he should be playing on the pitch. And this is uh, a reflection of a a conflict, I think is a good, is a fair enough way to describe it, between the two over what Pogba's best position is. And Pogba has been agitating to have United Systems changed so that he can play in what he feels is the best position for him, which is on the left-hand side of a three-man midfield with uh, Matic holding, shielding the defence, and another player doing more defensive duties, allowing Pogba the the freedom to um, attack and use what he thinks is the best side of his game. Um, Mourinho, understandably, is not happy that the player um, wants to decide how he plays in the team. He thinks that Pogba has the physical and technical ability to play any position in midfield and the capability to do that. And he should be flexible enough to play according to the needs of the team rather than to maximise or rather than to have the team set up around him. Um, It's no coincidence this has happened after... Alexis Sanchez came into the club. Um, I'm told that Mino Raiola, uh, Pogba's agent, spent quite a lot of time during the Sanchez transfer. And of course, he was directly involved because his, his other client, Henrik Mkhitaryan, was being moved in exchange for Sanchez. But he spent time during that transfer asking about what Sanchez's salary would be at United Um, seeking to ensure that Sanchez was not paid any more money than Pogba. Um, So there's an element of of status in the team here. And uh, as it's been described to me, is that that Pogba's ego has been tweaked by Sanchez coming in, um, being presented as a star signing in the same way as Pogba was when he arrived at the club. And the formation, in Pogba's view, having been switched to accommodate Sanchez, forcing him 
further back towards the defence and having to do more um, hard work in midfield. I mean, this is no surprise to me, Duncan, I have to say. I've seen the body language that you've uh, been describing between Mourinho and Pogba in the last four matches. Um, Pogba, to me, uh, comes across as quite an immature person. Um, you know, you, you uh, examine his antics on social media. It's very um, effervescent. It's very brilliant. It's very, I, I am the big man. I am this, I am that. Um, and so, you know, I'd liken it to um, the various standoffs that Cristiano Ronaldo has had. In fact, is still having with Real Madrid over the years about him being the number one player, the star attraction, the, the biggest Galactico, uh, must be paid more than anyone else, must be the focal point figurehead of the club in terms of its marketing, etc., etc. Uh, I saw a line recently that um, Alexis Sanchez shirts um, uh, outperformed any other sale of shirt just in January since he signed uh, for Manchester United three times more than any other shirt. Um, these are kind of things, bizarrely, which matter to professional footballers. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, as I have always said on this podcast, the two things that professionally marked footballs more than anything else are game time and money. And at the moment, Pogba's getting less than Alexis Sanchez of both. And this is a major problem for Mourinho, I think, because, you know, he brought Pogba in. It was a flagship signing. It was a world record-breaking transfer, which has since that world record has been broken twice uh, by the transfer of Neymar and Philippe Coutinho. So, I think Pogba is feeling a little bit kind of, you know, jaded by what's been going on. And also, to be fair to Pogba, um, United didn't challenge for the Premier League season uh, title last season. They're not challenging for it this season. He's probably saying to Raiola, and Raiola is obviously agreeing because he's a star client, um, this wasn't in the brochure. When we signed for Manchester United, it was, you'll be winning titles. And here we are, two seasons in, no title on the horizon. So... I think we're a long way off agitation for a move away from Manchester United for Pogba, but significant, significant problem for Jose Mourinho at a time when really he needs to stress him to be completely together and, and on his side. He's not the kind of character that will take kindly to being uh, told how to structure his team by a, um, by a player, I take it, Duncan. No, it's... The coach's job is to organise the team um, Mourinho's, one of Mourinho's great strengths is his tactical understanding and his ability to put different formations into place for different opponents and in different times in the game effectively and give his team an edge because of that. So if you have a key midfielder saying, I only want to play this one position because it suits me, it's not going to be a great surprise to, to find that the manager isn't impressed with that and is doing what he can to... Um, to re-educate, I guess you could use the word um, Pogba and get him to understand that for his own sake and his own development as a footballer, as a guy who's you know targeted being um, recognised as, as the best footballer in the world in, in the future of his career, he needs to move beyond having one position that he can play in a midfield. Is, and, and, is there and, examples and, of people doing, doing this with Mourinho in the past though? And how's, how's Mourinho dealt with it? Well, I can give you an example, uh, uh, Henry. Um, he had this Inter Milan with Latan Ibrahimovic. And mm-hmm. when Latan almost performed exactly the same trick as, as Pogba is performing now, what did he do? He sold him to Barcelona, got Samuel to an exchange, and they won the treble. 
he just sold him out the door. And to be honest with you, it was it's been a surprise to me during Ibrahimovic's loving with Jose and his time at Manchester United because that relationship was not good at Inter Milan, and and it ended in his exit to go to Barcelona. But that says a lot about Ibrahimovic's ego as well. To be fair, and what we're dealing with now is a battle of an ego, well, two egos, Mourinho's and Pogba's. Um, my experience of Jose Mourinho in all the time he's, he's he's watching European football has been that he will not tolerate this kind of dissent, this kind of attempted manipulation. Because think about it, you know, in any command structure, if you are the leader, the captain of that ship, and your authority is undermined by one of your subordinates, then your authority is gone. If he allows Pogba to win this battle, which he will not, then uh, his authority would be questioned by every other player or, or potentially by every other player in, in, in that dressing room. And Mourinho won't allow that to happen. He's just signed a new extended contract. It's what he wanted. It's what the club wanted. They they effectively said this is the only guy to take forward this club uh, in the in the next three to four years in the way that we see you and we want this club to uh, progress and develop and win more trophies. Now Mourinho's got the backing of of the club. If and it's been in the case of Mourinho's career twice at Chelsea where he lost the backing of the club and therefore the players then failed to believe or decided that they were going to just down tools. Then he got the sack. Mourinho's had very, very uh, hurtful um, experience of this kind of thing before. He's not going to let it happen again. I think you're, I think you're right, Ian. The ego is is central to this, and I, and I think it's it's kind of a byproduct of just how um, effective a marketing machine Manchester United are. We know that Ed Woodward owes his position to the the job he's done in in, in increasing. United's commercial revenue making them so successful in that domain. That's why the Glazers promoted them to be executive vice chairman. And we saw the way that Manchester United kind of held on from announcing Pogba's transfer almost through an entire summer, which enabled Pogba, Manchester United, and, and to a certain extent Adidas, who's the prime sponsor of both of those uh, two in the transaction, to be in the headlines day after day after day. Uh, they made a huge thing out of the announcement and and they've kind of done the same with Alexis Sanchez, not drawn out in the same way, but you saw when Woodward was talking to uh, investors this week, he, he made a point of talking about social media interaction and the records that have been broken with the announcement of a, of Alexis Sanchez arrival. And, you know, that's, that's fine. It makes the club money. It's very effective. But there are side effects, and the side effects are you, you, you push those egos higher and higher. You let players believe that they are more important uh, to the team than, than they would have been in, say, 10 years ago or 20 years ago if they're uh, arriving on a, on, a, on a similar scale. But any, any you... self-respecting player only needs to look at the table to see what they're really contributing to the league table. Um, I mean, I mean if, we, if we're talking about Pogba, let's say Pogba is moving on from Manchester United just for a... Indulge me in this uh, little game at the moment, um, this summer where... You know, he's adamant he wants to play in a different position. Mourinho's saying, well, you're not going to... It, it, it ends up Pogba's being shipped out. That transfer would have to be seen as one of the most expensive mistakes in the history of the game. Am I wrong? Absolutely. It would be presented that way and it would be seen that way. I mean, you're talking about the player having to look at the league table. I don't think players do look at the league table. <laughs> I think Paul Pogba is, is looking and saying... 
I'm getting criticism. How can I avoid that criticism? Um, I need to be played in a position that suits me. He's avoiding looking at the league table. And, you know, this is a guy who's missed a good chunk of this season through an injury which which staff at Manchester United believe was caused by his own personal training regime um, and a suspension, albeit I'd argue was unfortunate to pick up that suspension uh, for being sent off. But, you know, if you're going to look at the table, look at it properly and look at your own contribution and, and, and look at, at what you need to do to improve as a footballer rather than say, I was playing this way in the team at Juventus three years ago and it worked well for me, so I want this team set up in the same fashion because it suits me. There are very few footballers, and by that I mean even journeyman footballers, who don't surround themselves with agent, agent assistants and entourage. And the, the job of those people uh, in almost every, well, I'd say 99 out of 100 cases, is simply to bolster that player's ego. Tell him he's the best. Tell him that you know he should be in the team. He's the main man. It's, and I'm not just talking Paul Pogba as I said. This goes right, right trickles down to mm. you know fairly lowly players um, because the fact is the money train is, is so uh, financially beneficial to everyone involved with that player. Everyone around that player is in their interest to make sure that they tell the player what they want to hear. And unfortunately, as I said, one out of a hundred players uh, is sensible enough either not to surround themselves with that kind of sycophancy or to simply make his own decision and his own mind up about how he's playing. And by the way, that's the one player that looks at the league table as well and says, I'm not playing well enough and this team's not playing well enough and we do something about it. Unfortunately, how, many, how many players in the top leagues, top European leagues, uh, would be able to cut, pull off what Pogba is attempting to do there? Who could say to the, uh, the manager, look, I need to play in this position. The team needs to be built in this shape around me. How, how many do you think could do that? Messi, Ronaldo and Neymar. But would Messi do that? He's done it. He's done it at Barcelona. He employed his own coach after Tito Villanova um, uh, obviously left the job. They brought in a relatively unknown Argentinian coach because Messi said, I want this guy to come in and then build a team around me because I was unhappy with the way I was being played. In fact, in Luis Enrique's first season, uh, in charge of Barcelona, Messi was also unhappy about the position he was being asked to play. And then that changed, and then the team changed fortunes, and they actually won, and so Enrique went along with it. And and Messi with Guardiola came into conflict. Guardiola, I think, left him out for a match, and, and Messi essentially down to in training in the, in the week subsequent to it. And, right, uh, so it works then? <laughs> it works it if works, you're as good as those players. Yeah, you're a player of that, right? <laughs> but Paul Pogba is not a position, yeah. Henry. Paul Pogba is not in a position to demand the position that he plays at Manchester United because Manchester United are not a winning team right now. Um, they're a team who are contending but not winning. <clears throat> and also, uh, he's got a coach in Jose Mourinho who won't bow to that. Simple as that. I mean, the coaches that we're talking about uh, with Messi, Neymar, Ronaldo, um, possibly were bow, not just bow to the, to the player but bow to the club's will that the player should be listened to. Now, as I made the point earlier in the podcast, Manchester have just given Jose Mourinho an extended contract. He has the backing of the club ahead of Paul Pogba. And you know what? It's not, you said indulge you in the idea that Pogba may be sold. Listen, it's not beyond the realms of, of, of probability. If he continues with this argument and continues not to, to underperform, there's no reason why Manchester wouldn't, wouldn't look to offload him well, because he's a very, very valuable asset who's not 
performing to the value that on, he, and he on has. A, and as you say, on a team that isn't winning. So is this issue having an, uh, an impact on the rest of the team, do you think? As, a, as an unsettled and unhappy Paul Pogba, partly a, the reason for a wider malaise in the team and why they are losing um, and out of the, the title race at this stage. Well, first of all, you describe them as a team that's losing and a team that isn't winning. They're second in the league. They're still in the Champions League. They're still in the FA Cup. Um, so they're a, they're a team that are performing behind the, the team they were competing for for the title. Um, you can look at the point gap to Manchester City and say um, they haven't improved over last season, but that would be a rather bizarre analysis since Manchester City are, are setting all kinds of records. Um, for points gathered this season, and, and you know, I don't think there's anyone disagreeing that what they've they've done this year is exceptional. So, um, the team isn't doing as well as it should be. Let's look at it in the round from from you know Paul Pogba's perspective. Is left side of of the midfield his best position? It probably is his best position, and it would be better for him. And, and arguably, it has been better for Manchester United in some games, for example, the Everton match when he's played there. However, can Manchester United, as their, their squad is at the moment, afford the indulgence of saying, we are going to play with the same midfield structure in every game to suit Paul Pogba? I don't think they can because the defence isn't good enough. That's, that's the fundamental problem that Mourinho is having to solve as a coach at the moment is that his defensive line has got so many weaknesses in it. When he plays certain opponents, he's got to cover up by bringing his midfield back and bringing his part of his forward back to cover for them. Therefore, he can't afford to play that formation and that way in every game. He's got to adapt to opponents and try and solve the problems that way. So is it better for Manchester United if Paul Pogba starts on the left-hand side of the midfield with the freedom to attack every time? I don't think so. Now, so then you've got to come to a, resol a resolution between the two parties, and that's what they're trying to do at the moment. I know there have been people talking between the two sides, trying to convince those close to um, Pogba that it's not a good idea to pursue this line it's not a good idea for his career to pursue this line. He has to be more flexible as a midfielder, therefore listen to the manager more. And there are people talking to Mourinho who thinks, who will say, I am playing a midfield three at the moment. He says in the last few games he has been playing midfield three, but he's been using Lingard as the third person in that three. And Lingard is an even more attacking midfielder than Pogba. So it doesn't play the way Pogba wants as a three and, and realistically isn't effective as a three. So people are saying to, to Mourinho, OK, are there, are there situations in which you can allow Pogba to play there and bring another player in, perhaps Scott McTominay, who he's been very pleased with his development this season, and use McTominay as the third guy in that midfield and allow Pogba a bit more freedom that way. So the, there, there are attempts to resolve it. Um, I'm not going to predict how, which way it turns out, but I think I'm, I'm with Ian. If Pogba insists that he is the most important factor here and he wants to play there regardless of anything else, it will end in tears. OK, well, you're saying that they are uh, they are a winning team, um, you know, but they haven't won the last two, uh, beat by Newcastle last weekend and the pre game prior to that. 
beaten by Tottenham Hotspur. Um, and there is a podcast link if ever I've heard one. So Tottenham Hotspur um, making the headlines again with a, a tremendous comeback from 2-0 down against Juventus. Um, you know, making big uh, noises across the face of European football. Um, Ian, you've got some thoughts on whether they're going to be able to keep this team together, whether they can keep the manager with that team. What's the, uh, the future hold for this Tottenham Hotspur setup? Well, I, I think Henry, um, Tottenham will, Hotspur will come to a crossroads this summer. Um, and, and it's one which they've approached tentatively in the past, but always managed to deliver in the direction of the club under Daniel Levy, the chairman. I don't think it's going to be that easy anymore. <clears throat> Football in this country and, in, and indeed in Europe has elevated to a new financial hierarchy and structure um, with the uh, mega deals that we've seen uh, being done over the past two seasons, uh, Neymar, Coutinho, Mbappe, uh, Pogba, who we've just talked about, etc., etc., uh, even Alexis Sanchez in the last few weeks. And uh, I think Toby Alderweireld, not, not the most famous player at Tottenham by any stretch of the imagination, but let's just compare him to Jean-Marc Bosman. Bosman, of course, was a man who effectively revolutionised players' rights in terms of uh, ownership of their um, and their uh, uh, commercial and playing rights uh, and allowed players to take a lot more control of their careers. I think Alderweireld is the man who's about to do that for Tottenham Hotspur, uh, or, or I'd say for, but in uh, conflict with Tottenham Hotspur. He is refusing to even negotiate on a new contract, a contract which he currently has expires in 18 months. The reason for that is um, he's been paid under £50,000 per week at this moment in time, despite the fact he has been, by fairly general regard, one of the top five defenders in the Premier League over the last three seasons. Um, he looks at John Stones at Manchester City, who is earning in excess of 150000 a week, uh, even... Um, other uh, central defenders who've come in, at, uh, even Manchester United, Victor Lindelof, um, Eric Bailly, uh, earning in excess of 120000 a week. And he's 28 years old now, and he simply will not accept this glass ceiling uh, wage structure that Spurs have operated under Daniel Levy. Um, so what does he do? He refuses to, to, to um, negotiate. So he's then left out of the team, uh, which is a major blow for Tottenham because he's such a good player. But I think Levy and Maurizio Pochettino, the manager, have had a discussion and said, right, OK, if he wants to play hardball, we'll play hardball. Um, if he doesn't play, then does anyone want to buy him? Well, that's not really the point. He's a very talented player, a Belgian international. He will definitely play for Belgium in the World Cup this summer. And Tottenham will be forced to sell. Now, Tottenham that's selling one of their best players is nothing new. We've seen it with Gareth Bale, Michael Carrick, etc., etc. in the past. But the difference is there's other players in that dressing room right now, younger players than Alderweireld. Danny Rose was the first to break ranks at the beginning uh, of this season and say he didn't like the, the transfer policy. He felt he was underpaid. He wanted to be played somewhere else. We know that Dele Alli has just changed agent, is looking for a new deal, currently earning around 80000 a week. We know that Harry Kane has just signed another new contract, but his upgrades, Kane's upgrades go in about uh, 15000 a week, which is you know nothing in a modern player's salary. <clears throat> Can anyone really say that Harry Kane is not more valuable a player than Alexis Sanchez, 350 a week. Paul Pogba, 250 a week. Uh, Aiden Hazard, 250 a week. Kane is the most valuable player in Premier League football at this moment in time. And he earns less than half 
of about 10, 12 other players in the Premier League. Now, everyone talks about Kane's loyalty to Spurs, and I have no doubt that is the case. But <clears throat> at some point, Kane and his agents will come to the conclusion that if <clears throat> excuse me, Spurs are unwilling to break their salary glass ceiling for one of the best strikers in the world right now, then it's time to look elsewhere. And that's my point about Alderweireld. He'll be the one to break break that. He'll, he'll lead the way, if you like. He'll be the contract rebel who throws the shackles off and, and gets his way, to, goes to another club and gets double three times possibly his current salary. Other players will look at that and say to themselves, right, I'm going to do the same thing because, quite frankly, I'm not going to play at a club where they don't pay me what I'm worth, especially when the club are a very healthily financial state. Um, they, they, they're not in debt. The new stadium is being financed very well. Um, it's a very shrewdly run club. Of course, Daniel Levy, at the head of that, doesn't want that to change. So I think we're in for a major, major um, sort of standoff, I think, this summer. And it won't just be Alderweireld, as I said. It'll be Deli Ali. It may even be Harry Kane as well. Danny Rose is, will be involved there as well. You look at players like Musa Dembele, Christian Eriksen, um, even Hoyman's son. These are players who, whose value in the market currently is skyrocketing with performances like the one they had against Juventus uh, in the Champions League. And those players' heads will be turned by the salaries they can get elsewhere. So, um, and I think also um, Mauricio Pochettino himself, obviously, is probably one of the best rated coaches in the world right now. Uh, and Duncan, you've got some thoughts on, you know, what, what that future might be in terms of and how Spurs will handle it. Yeah, I think the Pochettino is a, another of the many problems that they're, they're likely to have to try and solve in the summer and that Pochettino is a strong, strong candidate for the Real Madrid job. Um, has been asked about it several times in press conferences and pointedly avoided saying, I will stay at Tottenham regardless um, and made it clear that it's a job he's interested in, which is, you know, you can understand why he would be because very few people will turn down the opportunity to leave, you know, effectively a third, a, a second tier club in the Premier League because they can't actually win the thing to go to current European champions. Um, or recent European champions, as it, as it should be, if he gets offered the, the job in, in the in the summer. Um, I wrote a story um, at the tail end of last week about um, Tottenham doing some preliminary work in terms of uh, assessing candidates in case they would they needed to uh, replace Pochettino. One of the individuals um, I was told they're, they've been asking questions about is uh, Jorge Sampaoli, the, currently the Argentina manager, but likely to leave Argentina to go back to European football in the summer. Um, Tottenham, interestingly, reacted very um, touchily about that story, um, saying it was completely untrue and had no um, foundation whatsoever. I find it interesting that um, that the club would not be, would claim that they are, they've got no uh, contingency plans in place when it's obvious that their manager is a candidate for a job like Madrid, potentially a candidate for jobs like PSG in the summer, which will also come open, oh. um, and wouldn't be doing anything in terms of uh, an insurance policy to discover, to work out who they bring in if they do lose them. Um, I agree with you entirely on Alderweireld. Um, I'm told that the contract negotiations have gone nowhere between uh, Tottenham and Belgian defender. Um, I think his salary demands are going to be well beyond anything Daniel Levy is prepared to, to pay. 
that I think you're seeing a kind of um, repeat of what happened with Kyle Walker last season in that Pochettino was um, guided to reduce his playing time uh, towards the second half of the season when it became clear to Levy that Walker was likely to push for a move in the summer, had too many suitors at um, wealthier Premier League clubs and was going to have to be moved on. Um, so I think Tottenham are preparing the ground for that sale. Again, Levy will insist on top dollar when he sells the player. But how many of those, how many of what 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 he's built and what's become an excellent squad capable of, albeit they started awfully against Juventus and a, and a hugely impressive comeback against um, Italy's best team. How many of those players can you hang on to when um, their teammates keep leaving the club for hugely increased salaries? But isn't this evidence that Levy's system <clears throat> works? I mean, I know the, the, the comeback is, yeah, but they haven't won anything. But, you know, they bring in players at uh, lower fees, lower wages, and then sell them to giant clubs for huge sums of money. Um, yeah, that's true, that's true, Henry. <clears throat> I think, Henry, if you ask Daniel Levy that, he'll tell you absolutely his system works. But I think the calculation for Daniel Levy is that the finances of the club and the long-term plan of the club are more important than actually winning the Premier League title. So he, I think his strategy is get the club into the stadium, allow the finances to grow that way, then have more money to to spend on your players using the same recruitment system we've been using down the years, which has been working for me, and, and wait and yeah, see because if we can win the Premier League that way. But the fact is well, they're never, they're never going to be able to compete in a spending sense with you know, the likes of Manchester City or PSG or probably Man United you know, huge, massive clubs with, you know, outrageous uh, amounts of money to spend. You know, even if Levy un un uh, loosens the purse strings, they are still not going to compete at that type of level. So, you know, they are, uh, you know, you could argue they are the, the, the best London side at the moment. They, you know, they're, they're looking very strong in the Champions League. They are probably going to qualify, even if they if they don't happen to win it, they'll probably qualify as one of the top four Um or they have a very good chance. What more can you expect from a club of Tottenham? Well, you, can expect, you can expect them to win trophies. I mean, yeah, I think we, that, are, the trophies talk, we are, are talking yeah. about a club that, that managed, were in position to win the league this season, Leicester City won it. And there's, you're not going to argue with me that Leicester City were able to outspend Tottenham Hotspur. They have not got close enough to winning any trophy, any silverware of any kind. I guess that you, know, you can take it away from the balance sheet argument and take it away from the strategy argument and ask Tottenham supporters, are they, would they prefer having a great team on the, on the pitch, having this sort of steady progress, but not actually winning anything? Not think, actually <clears throat> having that celebration uh, yeah. of a title? I, I do think Tottenham fans um, have been obviously uh, energised, rejuvenated, call it what you like, by this current team, and, and, and rightly so, and this manager as well. But I think as Arsenal have now found that um, serial failure to compete even for the Premier League trophy leads to lower crowds, leads to lower revenues. And that's when that bites the pocket at Spurs, that's when Levy will have to change his mind on his wages and his transfer policy. Um, but 
the new stadium itself, what's the point in building a new stadium if you're not going to have anyone to come and watch your team because but it's sold all your best players? If you're using Leicester as an example, then it's got nothing to do with uh, spending money. I mean, if anyone, if, if Leicester is an example, then the fault lies with Pochettino, not with Daniel Levy. No, you, you, what I'm saying is the season Leicester won the title was a season when it was open for one of the lesser Premier League teams, one of the, the second teams. Yeah, it was the best chance. It was the best the chance title. for, for Tottenham to win it in 30 years. Obviously, because... Leicester, had, Leicester had the advantage of only playing the league games and they had their preparation method and people ignored their very straightforward tactics for too long and thought they could outplay them, so they got a lead ahead. But Leicester, Tottenham should have won the league that season. They, they blew their opportunity to win the league that season. I yeah, think... I, just, I don't know if that's Daniel Levy's fault. No, but what well, I don't happen, think it's done. <clears throat> what, what, happen, what will happen, Henry, uh, this summer, the most important thing will be Pochettino's position. He is absolutely the glue in that team. If he leaves, then I, I could see Ali, Kane, Ericsson all you know, thinking, well, if he's off, then I'm off as well because he's the one who's brought this team through. He's brought those players, he's, he's you know, brought them up as footballers uh, and made them what they are, given them the mental strength to come back from two goals down in Turin. Um, uh, to beat Real Madrid at Wembley. Now, I think personally that Pochettino is of a mind to stay, to hang out at least till the new stadium comes in, etc., etc. He's got a contract until 2021. He's on 5.5 million a year. And despite not winning trophies at this moment in time, he is one of the only managers in European football who you could say genuinely is unsackable. Uh, he's not going to be sacked any time by, by uh, Spurs and by Daniel Levy because he's done such a good job with the team in developing it and getting them to a level that they haven't been at um, you know, for, for maybe 15 years. So I think Pochettino is a young coach who knows he's unsackable. As soon as he steps out of White Hart Lane, he'll be going to a sackable position. Um, does he need that pressure? Does he need that threat right now in his career? Or does he hang out at Tottenham long enough to see a trophy won um, and then leave knowing his job is complete, uh, and then taking on the you know the pressure cauldron of the likes of Real Madrid or Paris Saint Germain, and getting the, the the money that that the uh, financial rewards that come with that. So, um, whereas I can see, as I said, Alderweireld, Ali, Rose, all having conflict this summer with regards to um, wages and contracts. I think Pochettino will most likely stay be in charge next season. Um, because I don't think right, right now he wants to put his reputation on the line because he hasn't won a trophy to go to, um, as I say, the, the pressure uh, uh, jobs of the likes of Real Madrid. I think, I think Ian makes a very astute point there that Pochettino sees his career in the long term and he has been risk-averse in, in his choice of jobs up until this point in that, for example, Manchester United were interested in taking him as a replacement for Van Gaal. There were talks at the same time as they were talking to Mourinho about that job and Pochettino decided he was not ready for that position. The job was too hard. Um, it was too big a jump and too risky for him. So better to stay at Tottenham and wait for a better offer to come along, which it looks like it might do this summer. In terms of your point of whether Levy's to blame for them not getting silverware, let's look at Pochettino's perspective on that. He feels that with the addition of one of two, one or two experienced players being allowed to buy one or two players at a slightly higher point in the market, he would be able to turn a team with great potential into winners. So his view is 
that it is Levy's policy of not allowing him to recruit in that area of the market. And we're not saying, oh, I've got to have a 90 million euros to buy a Paul Pogba or, um, or a Kevin De Bruyne. He's just saying, I need some more experienced players to mix in that squad. I need some winners in there. And that would make the difference. So well, his argument my, my, would be my, Levy, my point was... My, my point, before we go too far down the, the, the road of proving my point wrong, let's clarify that, clarify that my point was it wasn't Daniel Levy's fault that Tottenham weren't good enough to beat Leicester City. I, and my point, would Indeed. Be that, my point would be that if he had one or two, if Pochettino had one or two of those experienced players in his squad, that would have been enough. Wait, Pochettino had, had, an, had enough funds to build a squad that came okay. where Henry. Leicester City <clears throat> Henry, it wasn't Roman Abramovich's fault that Chelsea weren't good enough. It wasn't Sheikh Mansour's fault that Manchester City weren't good enough. It wasn't right. John W. Henry that Liverpool weren't good enough. I know, but we're it not. Was, it was a freak. It was a freak <laughs> occurrence. And exactly, but we're not. <clears throat> but it wasn't me that raised Leicester, so I'm just putting it in perspective. <laughs> well, there's no perspective when an exception <laughs> which proves the rule, is there? All right. Well. Mauricio Pochettino, a flawless individual, never won a trophy, of course, but... Um, <laughs> immaculate. <laughs> the, 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 he's immaculate. immaculate specimen. Um, impeccable. Um, and, you know, getting linked with the Real Madrid job. And uh, who knows, that other big club um, elsewhere in Europe, in Paris, uh, you know, might be looking for a coach as well. Uh PSG um, put up a great performance against Real Madrid, but lo and behold, as they have done in the past in Spain, fell to pieces in the last 10 minutes and ended up getting beat 3-1 at uh, the Bernabeu and look like, you know, uh, a tall order to um, see it through to the next stage of the Champions League. So will there be a managerial vacancy in Paris this summer? And is that a viable option for Pochettino or who else is likely to get linked with that role? I think the scary thing for for the established elite clubs in Europe this summer who are thinking of changing manager, Henry, is that um, Paris Saint-Germain will outspend every one of them in order to recruit who is available and get the best man for the job. They've laboured under Unai Emery. Um, it was a surprise he kept his job. We've said uh, on the podcast many times that um, for several reasons he will leave um, in the summer. Uh, I think uh, they were a bit unlucky last night. Uh, Sergio Ramos clearly um, used his arm to stop the ball uh, on a goal-bound shot. And um, lo and behold, UEFA uh, officials probably decided that uh, sometimes the, the elite should remain and that the uh, the old, the um, ancien regime indeed should be uh, uh, sustained and not um, overturned by these young whippersnappers. So um, I think it was interesting that the, the president of PSG actually gave a press conference effectively after the game to talk about the penalty incident and to make complaints about the referee. Um, but those aside, Emery is not going to be in charge of Paris Saint-Germain. Paris Saint-Germain are a state-sponsored club, as we know. They'll be happily outstrip uh, the 12 to 15 million euros a season, which is currently paid to the likes of Guardiola and Mourinho to get the right candidate. The most, the hottest candidate, obviously, is Luis Enrique, who will complete his year sabbatical um, in the summer and will join a club. His preference is to come to England because the league is much stronger, but money talks and PSG will outpay anyone else. And despite the fact that Chelsea will be recruiting and Arsenal may even be recruiting as well, um, it, I think you know PSG are going to cause a major headache 
for those clubs when it comes to getting the best man for the job um, because they, they will um, flex that financial muscle. I think it's interesting that PSG have never managed to appoint the coach they actually wanted, um, given how much money they've had, um, and given the the ambitions of the club, and given their success in in the transfer market. That's the one stage they've not got to, and they've had a, a se- you know series of of second or third choices in there. And Emery's only only still there by default, as we know. They would have switched them in the summer if they could have got. The, the coach they wanted in. Um, they got very close to appointing Jose Mourinho in, uh, in 2016. Um, and in fact, if the, the French tax regime hadn't been so severe, I'm told that deal would have been done. It was a, it was a delay over um, sorting out the, the after-tax pay for Mourinho, which is obviously very high, that allowed uh, a delay enough for Manchester United to make their decision to sack Van Gaal and, and offer the job to Mourinho. And Mourinho's preference was Manchester United, so they missed out then. I think you're right, though, that this summer they should be able to, to beat uh, most clubs. Personally, I think if Real Madrid are in the market then the, and, a, and a coach has a choice of the two, he will go for Real Madrid because of the, the glamour of it uh, and the status of it. But... They should be at the front of the of the pursuit of manager of the, the the cadre of other managers, which which signals problems for Arsenal if they decide to uh, depart, allow Wenger to exit, or decide that they don't want to have Wenger there anymore. Problems for Chelsea, problems for other clubs that that for Juventus, for example, who might want to change coach this summer. Um, Interesting point you make about PSG complaining about the referees. I think last season for all, they had that collapse at Barcelona. I think any fair-minded individual would say that if the referees had done the job properly in that match, PSG would have gone on to the next round. And I think you know, there is an argument that one of the reasons why it's so hard to win a Champions League for the first time uh, for a club, and only, only three clubs have done that since the Champions League took over from the European Cup as, as, as the, you know, the title and the, the organisation of Europe's premier competition. I think it's because that those bigger clubs do tend to get decisions in their favour in these key matches when it really matters. And, and last night was another example of that. Well, it's, I, I mean, I go back, Duncan, to that night at uh, Stamford Bridge when uh, Chelsea were denied four clear penalties by a Norwegian referee uh, in a game against uh, Barcelona. Um, and then uh, I had actually reported on the day of the game that a referees, a UEFA referees, Champions League referees congress, only three weeks before, um, they had used video of Chelsea players surrounding a referee to say, <laughs> do not put up with this kind of behaviour. And so you could see why. You know, and obviously that was what that would be two thousand eight or two thousand nine. So that was what four years before Chelsea went on to win the Champions League in in, in uh, twenty twelve. So you can see why clubs, you know, the clubs who are not part of the elite have complaints. And you know, I'm sure you, you and I uh, have heard rumours, all sorts of things about how referees are wined and dined by the bigger clubs. You know, there's a restaurant in Barcelona where there's a table reserved for the Champions League referee to have dinner with the Barcelona directors the night before the game. You know, this is this does happen. And I, I think like yesterday, the referee was to- absolutely in line, saw Sergio Ramos arm the ball, 
thought to himself, I'm not going to give a penalty to PSG uh, in this, I think they were 1-0 up at the time, um, uh, against the Real Madrid captain in the Bernabeu. Not happening. I, don't, I want to keep my job as a Champions League referee and doesn't give it. And, you know, I have great sympathy with PSG on that front. Okay. Um, I think we'll wrap it up there. Um, we'll go for a quick fire. I've just come up with it. Um, <laughs> what, about, what about we do potential managers for PSG, um, either this summer or beyond? Um, and I'll give you... I'll, we'll do eight. I'll, I'll throw out a name um, and for you get four each and you tell me your thoughts. Do, do, what do we think of that? Sounds good to me. Okay. Ian, you go first with Mauricio Pochettino. I could see him at Paris. I think the project needs to develop a little bit more in terms of its, um, let's just say the recruitment has to be a, a little less scattergun and more strategic for Pochettino to be dispersuaded. But look, it's a very glamorous uh, job. It's a very beautiful city. And PSG are clearly a club who have got bottomless pockets. So why not? Okay, I should point out that I'm throwing these names off the top of my head. So if you think <laughs> I've missed someone out, or you know anyone obvious or made a a, a fatal error, then I don't care. Duncan <laughs> Zinedine Zidane. Zinedine Zidane has been pushed as being the likely candidate to take the Paris Saint Germain job because, for very obvious reasons, France international um, won the Champions League uh, twice. Unexpectedly, I suppose he was he came in as a almost as a caretaker coach and has survived this long by having that success in Europe. So he, he seems to tick all the boxes. The problem is he's he's so greatly associated with Marseille. If you talk to some French journalists at least, they completely discount the idea of a guy who is a Marseille icon um taking over at arch rivals Paris Saint Germain. Ian, Luis Enrique. Yes, available, um, clearly left Barcelona, um, having been incredibly successful. Again, key, won the Champions League both as a player and a manager, knows how to get them over the line. Also had Neymar on his Barcelona team. I would say he'd be the favourite for me to take over from uh, Emery this summer. Duncan, Jose Mourinho. Well, Mourinho's been offered that job on multiple occasions, um, turned it down on multiple occasions, almost... Signed with them, as I was just explaining, in 2016. Gave an interview at the tail end of last year and he said that basically said, one day I will manage Paris Saint-Germain. So I don't think this summer, but I think sometime down the line they will finally uh, marry and, and he'll head off to Paris to, to win another title in another league and uh, probably add the Champions League again. Ian, Brendan Rodgers... Uh, can I just say, sorry, just to add to Duncan, I'm going to put a bet on that now. That Jose Mourinho at some point to win the treble with Paris Saint-Germain. I'm sure he'll get a bit 250 to one. <laughs> <laughs> Look, Brendan Rodgers, we all know, is a, a total genius um, and, and very, very undervalued. Just ask him. Just ask right, him. Right now. Uh, I suspect that Brendan Rodgers has got bigger fish to fry than Paris Saint-Germain. I think we're looking at Real Madrid or Barcelona for him. Duncan. Follow that. Arsene Wenger. Yeah, Arsene Wenger, I wouldn't rule that out because of his status in France. 
Um, and also because this, you know, the Qatari regime at Paris Saint-Germain were very keen to bring Wenger to the club when they initially took over. Um, they were to- talking at the time about a director of football role, I think more because that would, that w- that would suit Wenger rather than, than coaching. But it was essentially, a, you know, an open invite. If you want to come and work for this club, you can work for this club. Um, I think it's still viable. Um, so I wouldn't say he would be first choice. I think that they, they go for other coaches, but if they aren't able to get those coaches at this particular time, and Wenger leaves Arsenal this summer, and Wenger is ready to go and coach another club, you can see that working. Um, you know, from, from Arsenal's point of view, it gets him out of England, gets him into a country where he's respected, and gives him an incredible squad to work with, and, ha- and, and perhaps finally win the Champions League. Yeah, I was going to say, Duncan, crucially failed to win the Champions League in 20 attempts. Yes, which is something he wants to resolve before the end of his career. <laughs> and I'm just he's saying unlike, P- he's unlikely P- to do it at Arsenal. I've just think PSG even get them into the Champions True, League. At the but moment. I'm just saying PSG will look at that record and think to themselves, "Nah, it's a busted flush." <laughs> Perhaps they should do. Yes. Okay, uh, Ian, a return for Carlo Ancelotti. Now I rule that out, Henry. Carlo's been there, done that. Uh, you know, I, I don't think PSG there's any will on their part to to, to have Carlo back either. And Carlo is focusing on managing the Premier League next season. Uh, Chelsea and Arsenal both being um, likely destinations for one or other. OK, Duncan, last one. Antonio Conte. Conte would like that job. Um, it's not the, the job he wants above all others. That's Real Madrid. But he's very interested in the Paris Saint-Germain job and his agents have been working on it through the season to see if it's possible to get there. Um, last I heard, you they weren't confident that that was going to happen. Okay, that was the quickfire round, um, which took about 12 minutes, I think. Does that qualify as a quickfire round? I'm not sure. Um, Answers in a postcard. Um, Favourite part of that podcast was certainly Ian's usage of uh, whippersnappers. Um, I remember when the three of us were whippersnappers, (laughs) also many years ago. But uh, but those those days are behind us, and, uh, and this is our future. Um, so thank you to Ian thank you to Duncan I've been Henry McRae and uh, this has been the Transfer Window podcast available on iTunes Audio Boom and various other Boombity Booms um, come back next week and uh, some of us will be here some of us might not but we'll, we'll enjoy your company whoever you are and wherever you are thank you very much and goodbye goodbye